sermon number two in our series, Devoted, where we're going to be like dogs on a bone in this text and focus on these four pillars of the thriving, vibrant church, that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, the breaking of bread, and the prayers. I want to cue you in to verse 46. And day by day, regularly attending the temple together, worshiping and breaking bread in their homes, feasting and eating together, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. That is the way. Here's a story that illustrates the opposite. When I was in college, I went on a road trip with my buddy Matt King, and he said, my uncle Raymond is coming. The tone of his voice told me everything I needed to know about Uncle Raymond. He was a character. I'm a character. So I thought, this is great. We're going to get along. I want to hear this guy's stories. I wish I could take that back after I had opened up the floodgate. One of the first stories that Uncle Raymond told me was this. You see, he was a self-made guy in Albuquerque, hardworking, small business owner, blue collar, and he had moved up to kind of a nice part of town where a lot of folks from Sandia Labs lived, and he happened to move right in next door to a highfalutin, high-powered, well-known and well-respected Sandia National Laboratories lawyer. And Uncle Raymond is not to be messed with, and neither are lawyers to be trifled with, and so right out of the gate, they did not have a relationship of breaking bread and fellowshipping but one of increasing and eventually climactic antagonism, which ended in the lawyer moving. It got that bad. Two homes, I'm sure on about an acre each in North Albuquerque, and it started with issues and conversations, and someone's music was too loud. He didn't like the sound of the lawnmower, and you have to do the weed whacker at that time of day. Before you knew it, Uncle Raymond was building up his wall. Of course, the covenant of the neighborhood said you couldn't do that. He didn't care. After building up his wall, Raymond installed cameras. He pointed the cameras at the lawyer's house. After doing that, he had his wife go over on a secret mission to find out a few things and found out that although this lawyer loved New Mexico, he just couldn't deal with the fact that there was so much turquoise. There's just turquoise everywhere. So Raymond, I kid you not, painted his entire wall that faced that man's house turquoise. We're talking like a custom home here. These people are a little crazy. Eventually, he found out that the guy was going to have a party. He hired his own mariachi band to play to no one in his backyard during the party. All of this, as you can imagine, uh, led to nothing but uh, disillusionment, disgruntlement, and pain. This is not the way. Now, you've never done anything that crazy, I know, but we do that all the time in our hearts, don't we? When people frustrate us or annoy us or scare us, we push them away, we make them other, we build our walls, we do what we need to do to keep them at bay. That's not the way. I don't know about you, but that sounds exhausting, and we know it never leads to anything well. I don't want in on that. Instead, I want in on what we just read about. This church, this kind of a church that's devoted to these Four things. We could say that there are four core values. 
But really, to extend the culinary metaphor, there are kind of four elements, four ingredients. Four ingredients in this sort of a Jesus pie that those who were participating could taste and see that God is good, that those who were in the world could taste and smell and say, wow, I'd like a slice of that. Now, the book of Acts, it's interesting, right? Acts or actions. It's called the book of Acts. And really, it is about the, the actions of the apostles as the church spreads around the entire known world at that time. But most fundamentally, Luke's second volume, as John said last week, the book of Acts, is, is about the action of the Holy Spirit working in and through the Word and the people of God to vivify, to bring to life this small and mighty little church, to create a healthy body that can then go out into the world and do what that body is called to do. We need life, right? We're coming out of 14 months. It's been a long time. We need the Holy Spirit to vivify us and to bring life. And, you know, it's funny because the conventional wisdom at a time like this is, we'll do a vision series. You've got to do a vision series. You know, what's the vision of the church? And it's funny because I think 2020 has, has served up some real humility to that sort of an idea. It's like, how do you do a vision series when you're having to pivot what you're doing every five minutes? How do you talk about five-year plans when change is coming at you rapid fire? But you can always hit on values. And so our desire in this series, Devoted, is to do just that. Kind of look at what these four core values are and how they can inform our life, our relationship with Jesus, our healing, our wholeness, and our presence, our faithful presence in the city in the world. Now, everybody knows we have to eat. And you probably know that bread is a, is a staple food, especially in the ancient world. It was sort of the staple food. Bread is necessary. Bread is essential, that's true. But it can also be really enjoyable, this idea of breaking bread together. There's almost nothing like a really good meal. We do meals around all the big events in life. Birth, death, weddings are oriented around a meal. Meals are, are so good now that people just can't help take pictures of the meal on their phone and share it with all their friends. Here's what I was eating just now. Sorry you weren't there. Hope you're a little jealous. Or maybe you've sat down recently and had a meal with an old friend you haven't seen in a long time. There's something really powerful, not just about the necessity and utility of bread breaking, but the enjoyment and the beauty of it as well. Sadly, we're sinners saved by grace. We're humans. And so in the idea of breaking and sharing bread, uh, worries emerge. Our own sinful nature can often express itself. What if there's no bread? What if there's bread, but I don't like the bread? What, is it, what if this isn't the kind of bread I would have chosen? What if there's not enough bread to go around? Maybe I should just hoard my bread. Maybe I should lord over my bread. And so Luke can be thought of in this way. I came across this concept this week, and I thought it was really good. Luke can be 
Uh, Luke in Acts can be construed as a tale, not of two cities, but of two bakeries. A tale of two bakeries. Really, two temples, two ideas about what it means to come and receive and feast on the gifts of God. The one temple, which is defined by not only the Roman pantheon, but righteousness by the law, requires that you bring your own bread. You better bring bread, and when you bring that bread, it takes. That's one bakery. You show up to the bakery with the bread, they take it, and hope you did a good enough job. The other bakery, temple, idea of communion and union with God, bakes that fresh bread. It bakes it for those who deserve it and those who do not deserve it, and it gives it away for free. Now, we know this is the case because we have to live and move and have our being in this world. You know, you know that the powers and principalities of this world do not say what Isaiah said in chapter 55, verse 1, where Isaiah, envisioning the future of the kingdom of God, says, come and eat and buy without price. Come without money and have milk and wine and bread. No, the world in which we live in says you better bring your bread. You better offer it. You better make the right offering and you better hope in the offering that it satisfies the deity. On the flip side of a similar coin, the law and principles of the law, righteousness by following the rules, discern Who's worthy of bread? And the religious leaders were great at this. They looked around and found that some were quite worthy of the feast. Some could come. Some would be welcome at the table. Some had earned their right to be there. And others had not. Remember that story, that, that potent story where they come to Jesus and say, Who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? That is the nature of the law. Who is worthy of the bread? That's the nature of all religious law, and it's the nature of all pagan law. E even if you're, if you're a pagan and you say, well, you know, this is who's in the in-group. These are the right beliefs about the world and about justice and about politics. And all. This is the little boundary markers of my religious community. If you're in, you're in. If you're out, you're out. Those who are in, those who have the right creed, the right manifesto, they're worthy to come to the table. Those who aren't are kept away. And in contrast, Luke shows us the work of the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, who doesn't say, bring your bread, buy your bread, make your bread worthy. Instead, the Spirit pours down manna from heaven. And so really, Jesus, who is the bread of life and our breaking bread together and sharing bread with the world, we're, we're fulfilling that action of God in the Old Testament. This is the manna of the Spirit. And, and the text is begging us to choose which bakery, which temple, which deal do we want in on? Neighbors fighting or those breaking bread and blessing? This quote at the beginning of your bulletin in the resonance by Dietrich Bonhoeffer it's worthy of mention at this point in the sermon. He said, I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray. Wow. And this is the guy who's dealing with 
Nazis in Germany. I can no longer condemn or hate a brother for whom I pray, no matter how much trouble he causes me. This is the way. The Bible says that by the work of the Holy Spirit, a new community is formed. And this community is infused with the Holy Spirit attending to and operating in the word both preached, the apostles' teaching, and the word feasted upon, the breaking of bread. And that when the Spirit does that, it creates not, a com- not only a community that breaks bread, but breaks bread together and shares that bread. For there are fishes and loaves left over. A community, a church that is infused with the life of the Holy Spirit working in the Word is a bread-breaking community. Are we a bread-breaking community? We are. Let us pursue that. Let us grow in that. And I just want to say, if you're here this morning and maybe you don't believe or you're really struggling with doubts or questions or you're skeptical, we're so glad you're here because this isn't a place for people that just have it all together. It's a place for people that are hungry. The Spirit creates a bread-breaking community. This means at least, of course, three things for us this morning. First of all, we break bread together. Secondly, that we receive the bread that is broken. And last, that we share that bread boldly with courage. We break bread. We receive bread. We share bread. So what we learn from the book of Acts is that God's people, God's new community, filled with the excitement of the Holy Spirit, they're the kind of people that hang out. They hang out and eat. Jesus' people love to hang out and eat, and they tip well, I'm sure. They feast together. They sit down at the table together. And in that cultural context, to be at the table, it meant trust. It meant friendship. It meant the giving of time. It meant I'm inviting you into my place, my sanctuary, my kingdom, my story, and I'd like to hear yours as well. I want to know you, not just know things about you, but know you and be known by you. And so when we break bread, folks, it's relational. It's not ritual. It's relational. Our identity as Christians at the very core is union with Christ by faith. We believe and we are united to Christ by the Spirit for the glory of the Father, and we receive all the benefits of Jesus. Justification, sanctification, that's being made holy. Adoption, being brought into his family. The power of the resurrection. Our identity is union with Christ. And in John 6, Jesus says of himself that he's the bread of life. If we are united to Christ, and Jesus is the bread of life, then we are to be shaped by the practice of feasting on him and sharing that feast with those around us. Shaped by the practice. Again, back to the idea that John's discussed now two weeks in a row of what is devotion. It's not just something we do. It's what we love. It's what we worship. As one author has said, you will become what you worship. Well, if we worship the bread of life, then should we not then, in a sense, become life-giving bread to those around us? And so in this way, the breaking of bread is sort of the second pillar of the ministry of the word. If you look at the text, it's interesting. It says they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and then you get, and the fellowship. As if fellowship comes out 
of teaching. And they, voted them, and they devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and the prayers, as if the prayers and the dependence upon God come out of sharing these meals together in Christ. Bread, then prayer. The word of God creates the community of God. Found this quote this week that I really appreciated. Should we only share bread with the people that we want to eat with? It's a fair question, for it is our most natural tendency. And by the way, there's nothing wrong with going out to eat with people you like. But the church isn't your chosen family. It's God's chosen family for you. So we break bread together, we break it relationally, and we break it broadly. Some scholars would point out that the use of the definite article here, the breaking of the bread, means that this is only talking about the Lord's Supper. I, I don't think that's the case. Um, as I went and studied this this week and a handful of other things that I read in commentaries, I think the better view is that there's definitely an eye to the Lord's Supper, to the Lord's table, but there's also a broad application and meaning here as well. It's not anything less than the Eucharist, than the Lord's Supper, but it's more. And we know that because verse 46 says that they broke bread, picking up on verse 42 now, in their homes with glad and generous hearts. Hospitality, home. The homes of these early Christians were used as tools to share the blessed bread of Jesus with their church family and their neighbors. Why? Again, because the church is not an exclusive club. The church is a hospital. How do you feel after you've shared a meal with someone? I don't know about you, but I've shared meals with people that going into the meal, I was like, I don't know if we're going to you know, really like this couple. You ever done that with your wife or your husband? Like, I don't know if we're going to get along. And then at the end of the meal, it's like, oh man, they're great. That was awesome. That food was great. The conversation was great. There's something physiological happening here. Breaking bread together bonds us together. And as a church, we talk about this a lot. This is part of what it means to have low walls and a deep well. And of course, we want to be safe here, but we want to have low walls. We want to have open doors. We want anyone and everyone to be invited into this place to hear the gospel because when they come, they come to the deep well of Jesus. All he is, all he's done, all he's revealed himself to be in his word. And when you drink that water from that deep well that we can never exhaust, it's either going to be the bread of life and the water of life, or eventually it's going to be poison. Because you're going to decide, mm, Jesus, I love you, but you get 83% of me and the other 17 is mine. Low walls and a deep well. An easy entry point and invitation to the bread of life so that the gospel can be heard. That's why we break bread together. Now, it's really important that we understand that those who are breaking bread together aren't the bakers, but those who are the beggars. Not the bakers, the beggars. We have received this bread. Christ's body is broken for you, for me, for us. And if, if Christianity is real, again, if you're here this morning and you're thinking through that, 
then this is really a radical idea. You're not the baker. You don't need to get your life in order first. You don't need to take a shower and get clean before you jump in the bath. You don't need to know the right words, the right handshake, and have the pointy hat before your bread gets served to you. You're humble and lowly and hungry and needy, and the fresh bread is bread that is received. Because the message of the gospel is that God gives himself. And I want to say that he gives himself really. Especially when we come to this table, it, it, Jesus isn't physically present in this wafer. Thank God, because he'd have even more dry skin than most of us in Santa Fe. He's not physically present here, but he is spiritually present. Jesus is spiritually present as we come by faith. So again, this isn't just some abstract, detached, the gods are up there and I hope they like me sort of thing. We receive bread in a real spiritual way. Christ is with us in this sensible, tangible, tasteable sign of his love and his power. It's as almost as, as, as if the, the Lord's table calls out, do you have doubts? Eat. Do you have fears? Eat. Are you tired? Eat. So one scholar puts it this way, there's nothing special about the bread in and of itself. Jesus is here and present spiritually. That's what is special. It's a covenant meal, and by his covenant promises, Jesus is with us fully and savingly. It's not that Jesus just thinks about being with us or looks down from high above, daydreaming about what it would be like to be present with the children that he loves. No, he is really with us by faith, which means that by faith we know he will never let us go. That is good news. So we receive this bread. It is real. And it's radical. It's radical in the sense that this new church community it was such a strange thing to the folks in this early church. The Eucharist, you know the word Eucharist, steo, it means thanksgiving. Receiving results in thanksgiving. There were all kinds of weird theories about what Christians were doing when they were taking the Lord's Supper. Some people thought, oh, they're, they're drinking blood, they're eating, like, what's going on here? But as these Christians lived their lives in the world and not of it, loving their neighbors, more and more those neighbors learned that those who had received bread were those who gave thanks. Receiving leads to thanksgiving. And friends, as we come every week to be fed by Jesus, as we meet together in our homes to break bread and feed one another, this is our witness in the world, right? You're, you having the perfect, perfectly figured out political position, which exactly two of you in this room have, John and I, that is not your witness to the world. Now, have your opinion, that's good, you know. You send me your articles, and I will send you mine. Won't that be fun? That's not your witness to the world. Right? You being really successful in your job. It's not a bad thing. Work hard. Give all the glory to God. But that's, that's not your witness to the world. 
Now, our, our witness to the world is this thing of Eucharisteo. The receiving of bread, the giving of thanks. And we see that in that awe comes upon them all. That's why I included this context, because verse 41 and 47 are two sides of the same coin. The word is preached, souls are added. The word is feasted upon in the community as the body is vivified by the Spirit, and souls are added. This is our witness. And I don't know about you guys, but I want in on that. I want in on that. I want to see God moving in our midst as we break bread together and break it with our friends and our neighbors especially those that we find lacking and undeserving and frustrating. And that's why, lastly, we share bread, and we share it boldly. Breaking bread was often done at the beginning of a Jewish hospitality meal to open their time together, which is why it was appropriate that Jesus broke bread at the Passover when he instituted the Lord's Supper. But like Jesus, we must understand that sharing our bread big point, comes with it the worthy risk of invitation. The gospel doesn't just go out to the people that we like, it goes out to all. So we share bread. We are a bread-breaking community that has already received that bread from Jesus, and we're a bread-sharing community. And the bread we share better be fresh bread, not crumbs, not leftovers, We are generous because God has been generous with us. We love because he first loved us. So a final quote here. The early church is not some example of proto-communism. Yes, they sold all they had and distributed. But it wasn't compulsory, state-mandated redistribution. But be careful, friends. It wasn't some form of rugged individualism either. Meism was in play no more and no less than any other worldly view. No, the early church was founded on a gospelism. They were free, not coerced by religion or Roman, but greed and individualism run rampant, were also crushed. Why? So that manna could be given. These were people that didn't have to give, didn't have to share, but because the sharing and loving of Jesus was so good, they wanted to. Amen. So we share fresh bread. We do the work of hospitality. And maybe it's good, I mean, you come to hear sermon, music, prayer, feast. Maybe it's good to just think right now. Is there anyone you can think of that you can invite for a meal? Or get creative, do it over Zoom. Or some other weird way if you don't want to actually be with people in that setting. One ancient church father said, whenever you go to plant churches, do two other things. Start a school and a hospital. Whenever you go in the empire, plant a church, start a school, build a hospital. A little easier to do back in those days. Bit less red tape. But that's what it means for the church to be vivified. That the word preached and feasted upon is going forth in the works of God by his spirit. So the question for us here is, do we share our bread in a way that makes people go, whoa, that's weird, that's different, I don't get it, I almost kind of don't like it, what's your agenda, what are you up to, am I your project, are you trying to fix me, are you trying to proselytize, 
You want me to become a Christian? Is that what you're up to here? Do we share our bread in a way that makes the world go, whoa? (laughs) Because that's what happened in verse 43. Awe came upon them all. And everyone in the world went, what is going on here? Now, talked about it a little bit, but for those who were here last week in the second service, and for those who weren't, you've heard, it got a little crazy. Thankfully, by God's grace, um, everything was okay. And as Phil already said, you know, we're going to have as many safety protocols and protections in place as we can to keep our doors as open as we can. But just because we have an incident, folks, does not mean that we stop sharing and breaking our bread. So this week, uh, I went downtown three times to try to find this guy. And I didn't find him yet. I will. And when I do, I'm going to do what I used to do with my homies back at the University of New Mexico, and I'm going to just go see if he wants a burrito. See if I can maybe hear his story. Tell him that, you know, maybe don't come back to church for a while, but can I pray for you? Can we get to know each other? And this is not because I'm spiritual. I'm not, oh, pat me on the back. Look, I'm a pastor. I got some time. So I went to go look for this guy. It's not because I'm spiritual. It's because this was the conviction of the Holy Spirit on my soul. Because the gospel means that we have bread to spare and not just for those we find worthy. Not just for those we like. Not just for those who are safe. But for the unworthy. This is how we have to roll. If you want to experience the power of God in your life and in this church and the Holy Spirit vivifying, this is how we have to roll. And I write rhetorically to myself, really? Even for this guy? You know, he goes by the name Dr. Claudio Martinez. Doctor of disruption. PhD in problems. I mean, really? When I hear that, I start to feel that Uncle Raymond vibe. Cameras, mariachis, and wall painting. I'm sad about what happened. I'm angry. I spent the whole week having to process it with my kids and a lot of you. I love you. I love this church. I want this flock to be protected. I admit. But let's do this. How about? Write his name down. As crazy as it seems, Dr. Claudio Martinez. Write his name down. Say it in the morning when you pray. Say it at your meal times as you pray. And every time the Lord reminds you of your sadness or anger or fear, pray for him. Pray that the demonic strongholds would be broken and he would be free. Pray because we believe that's exactly what the breaking of bread is able to do. Something so weak and so foolish, not a 7,000-page religious rule manual with intellectual words and erudite concepts, not a sharp, penetrating Roman sword, but in the breaking of bread, the Spirit attending the Word can actually change the most broken lives and make them whole. Look, are we going to try to keep everybody safe around here? Of course we are. As you heard, we're, we're already updating our good existing plan and have new measures in place today. But you know what? Ultimately, folks, statistically, the probability of those things happening frequently, that's not what I'm most worried about. 
I'm not most worried about us being safe. Sorry. If you drive on Cerritos, neither are you. What I'm most worried about, what I'm really worried about, is us being afraid. Bread hoarders. Afraid to pursue the lost and the broken and the lonely. Afraid that we will only break our bread with people who it's safe and comfortable to break bread with. I'm afraid that we will bury our bread talents in the ground and when the master returns, we will be rebuked and he will say, depart from me, evildoer. Because if we do that, we have no part with Jesus. Because he broke his bread with the disruptors. He broke his bread with the broken. He broke his bread with Judas and Thomas and Peter. They were all there. So it is his grace that makes us both safe and strong. That's why we share bread boldly. This is not an either or. It's a both and. And I pray we would never allow our fear to produce vain forgetfulness such that we lose the words of Jesus, bread-breaking words, go and do likewise. Family, we don't give up on people. Love pursues the lost. Love feeds the needy. Love bakes bread. Love breaks bread. And I want in on that. It's risky. It's risky. It's not the easy, safe life all the time to take up your cross and follow Jesus. But I want in on that. Not neighbors fighting, but blessing. So now let us come to the table where Jesus did not give up on us. And let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this wonderful word and help us to be a people who are devoted to the breaking of bread. We come to your table now to receive, to be shaped by and practice these things, your great love and affection for us our love and affection for you now overflowing to one another and even to the world, even to the world undeserving. So Father, would you help us to break our bread together? Would you help us to never get off the beauty that we are receivers? We're not the bakers, we're, we're the beggars. And you give freely. And Lord, would you make us bold? It's scary. I don't want anything bad to happen to anyone ever. Can't we just be in heaven now? But Lord, would you make us bold and courageous to be those who share our bread, not just with the easy and the lovely and the likable, but to share our bread in the same way you did on the night that you were betrayed. To share it with those who would turn and flee and run and do violence without condition. Even as we partake, Jesus, would you make us more like you for your glory and for our joy. Amen.